morning. My name is Jonathan, and I'm one of the pastors here at Heights, and we're so glad that you joined us this morning. Hope that you plugged into a life group, and if you're watching with us online and you are a guest with us, if you would let us know by uh, scanning that QR code or clicking the link to the, the connect link that's in the description, and uh, that way we can find out a little bit more about you and follow up with you. And also, if you are a guest here with us in the room, we would love to meet you as well. You can fill out the Connect card that is in the seat in front of you, or you also can go to heightschurch.org connect, and you can fill out the digital card as well. There's also a place there where you can uh, submit prayer requests and uh, register for events and things that are going on there as well. It's kind of your one-stop shop for everything Heights. It's heightschurch.org connect. So... Like I said, my name is Jonathan. I am really, really glad that I get to uh, come and talk about God's word with you today. And uh, I have to tell you, uh, this morning, I was not having it, right? I opened my door, stepped out, ready to go. I thought, man, I've got my notes down. I've got everything. I've got my Bible. You know the checklist, right? And I opened the door, and I just get hit with a gust of cold, cold, nasty, wet Cold. Thank you. So, uh, like any good Texan, I had to go to a coat closet that uh, hasn't really been opened much this year. And I opened the thing, and I'm looking for my jacket. Like, not just any jacket. I wanted a specific one. And so I open the closet, and I'm looking inside of it, and I'm shuffling things around. There's some sweaters in there. There's some other things, you know. Can't find it. So I did what any good husband would do, and I yelled at my wife. Not in a bad way. I just said, Brittany, where's my coat? It's in the closet. Y'all have had this exact same scenario play out in your life, haven't you? I can tell because you're laughing. No, it's not. I'm looking in the closet. It's right there, I promise, right? Oh, here it is. You know, sometimes we lose things. I'm the world's worst at it, right? I can know exactly where I put it, and then it's not there anymore. I lose my phone, my keys, my tablet, the remote, my shoes, my coat. Oh. You know, I think that the Word of God points to... Uh, nature in a way that, that demonstrates God's glory. And I think that there are so many people in our culture, in our society, that they, they kind of miss it. And it's like it's right there in front of them. And they say, no, I don't believe in the existence of God. There's not enough evidence. There's not enough evidence. There was one particular uh, scientist, and I won't say his name, but he was getting interviewed and they said, if you were to die, and let's just say hypothetically God was real, what would you say to him? And his response was, why, oh, why didn't you give people enough evidence to believe? Well, I think that there is a ton of evidence 
throughout nature that points to the person of Christ, that points to a creator, that points to the Lord God, that points to all of these different things. And I'm going to read some of them because for those of you that know me very well, you know that science is not necessarily my strongest of the, of the subject. So here we go. Um, this, is from, this is from research. The first one, the moon is approximately 240,000 miles from Earth. And the sun is roughly 93 million miles from Earth. Scientists know that if either were to move 50 miles closer or 50 miles further away, life on Earth would not be possible. And the scientist says, lucky. Every day, the moon causes the tides to rise and fall. Millions upon millions and tons of water quietly lifted anywhere from 10 to 43 feet. Among other things, this process aerates the oceans with oxygen that supports the plankton, which is the foundation of the Earth's food chain. And the scientist again says, lucky. One of my favorites, renowned astrophysicist Hugh Ross put it this way, when we happen to live in the best perhaps the one and only neighborhood that allows not only for physical life's existence, but also for its enduring survival as well. Our planet exhibits at least 25 different characteristics so precisely fixed that life could not exist if they were altered in the slightest. Lucky. When we look at the nature of God in Scripture, we can see without a doubt the glory of God revealed in nature. We can see without a doubt that God communicates to us through his word. Today we're going to be in Psalm chapter 19. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn that on or open it uh, to that psalm. And uh, we will jump right into that. Psalm 19 beginning in verse 1. This is a psalm of David. And it goes like this. I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. <clears throat> In them he has set a tent for the sun which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. Now, church, God reveals his glory through nature, and we see God's uh, nature over and over again showing his glory, showing his attributes, Right Now, I know that, that we could go into a, a, a lot of discussion on this very topic, but how many of you, at some point in your life, have been completely awestruck by nature? Most of us? Okay. Some of you need to get outside, right? I know it's scary out there, but it's good, I promise, right? Looking at you, teenagers, all right? Okay, so I grew up in West Texas, and one of the things that everybody knows about West Texas, is there are some beautiful skies. I mean, the stars at night are big and bright. <laughs> but regardless, that, yes, thank you for that. I like that. So 
the truth of the matter is I have seen some better skies than West Texas. Although those are, those are ranked. Those are my top ten, right? But my favorite place to look at the stars is every year my wife and I take a week just to get away. And one of our favorite places to go is called Woods Lake. And it is up 10,000 feet. And it's between Telluride, Colorado and Montrose, Colorado. It is within 15 miles of the lowest light pollution in all of the United States. Think about that. No light. So you're up there in a tent. You're sitting out there. You're drinking coffee, looking up into the sky. Because we're young, we can drink coffee at night, right? Looking up into the sky. You see stuff you never knew was there. You could see more there than you could see in the middle of a cotton field in West Texas. And you could see more in the cotton field in West Texas than you could see in my backyard in Alvin, Texas. You could see more in my backyard in Alvin, Texas than you could if you were in downtown Houston. But my friends, the truth of the matter is, it's there. Now, I love it. There's this, uh, this astronaut, and many of you know who he is. His name is Captain Jim Lovell, and he was on Apollo 8, and uh, one of the first ones to, to circle the moon. And while he was out there, he held up his thumb to the window and looked at earth, and earth was hidden behind his thumb, and this is what he said. At one point, I sighted the earth with my thumb, and my thumb from that distance fit over the entire planet, and I realized at that moment how insignificant we all are if everything I'd ever known was hidden behind my thumb. Guys, when we look up at the stars, we realize that we're small, fairly insignificant, I'd say. There's something bigger that makes things work. There's something bigger that creates life. There's something bigger that keeps us going. And the psalmist knew that. Talks about the, the, the rising and setting of the sun. Talks about all of these different uh, characteristics. But then he shifts like a song from the 90s that you're listening to. And there's one verse that's about one thing. And then the second verse of the song is about something that seems to be entirely disconnected. And the psalmist continues. Even though God reveals his glory through nature. And nature is non-verbally communicating to everyone the psalmist indicates that there's a better way that God communicates with his people. And if you would, go with me. Psalm chapter 19, verses 7, and I'm going to read the rest of the chapter. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than the honey drippings from the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from my hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then 
I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. My friends, we have this picture of God that communicates a, 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 a stronger word. We don't have to look up into the stars and wonder, is there something bigger that makes all of this tick? Because the God who created the universe, according to the scripture, communicates with us regularly today. It doesn't need to be edited. It doesn't need to be changed. It doesn't need to be altered. It's relevant to you and to me today. This passage indicates the, the psalmist had this heart that was dependent on the word of God. Now, this was a psalm of David. There are more negative things said about King David than any other person in all of Scripture. Now, think about that. Judas Iscariot. Right? Like, think about it for a little bit. Saul. Like, Saul seems much worse than David. David is known as a man after God's own heart and wrote a good portion of the Psalms that we read. A key character throughout the scripture. What made this broken and wretched man so inclined to understand the ways of God? He realized that he was sinful, that he was broken, that he was jaded. And that the word of God exposed weaknesses in him, exposed sin in his life. And he knew that God was a God who was gracious, quick to forgive, quick to give grace, quick to show mercy. Now, if this was a Wednesday night and I was teaching students, I'd probably land the plane right here. Because I've learned over 10 years in student ministry can hang for about 15 minutes. But I think in a group like this, I think we could go just a little bit deeper, don't you? Teenagers, I know y'all are in here. Like, I just, like, insulted you big, but y'all got to hang, all right? All right. So God reveals his glory through nature, but he also revives the soul through his word. One of my favorite pastors of all time, his name is Spurgeon, says it this way. If you desire Christ for a perpetual guest, give him all the keys to your heart. Let not one cabinet be locked from him. Give him the range of every room and the key of every chamber. When God comes into our life, we have a tendency to say, all right, God, you can have my Sundays. All right, God, I, I know it's a big financial decision, so I'm going to pray on this one. But Spurgeon is indicating when God comes into your life, when you have a deep and profound relationship with him, the only way to be walking appropriately with God is if God is in everything. He has access to all of it. And let me just say this. Did you know that it's not hard in a church this size, or really in a church of any size for that matter, to hide sin from other people? Did you know that you could be completely living in sin and none of us would know about it and we would think that you were just upstanding all the time? But when you have a relationship with God, you know that he's in all of those spaces. 
you may not know the sin life of Jonathan McMeans, but I know a creator who does. That's pretty sharp, isn't it? You look at this word of God, there's this, this word that keeps coming up. And keep in mind, this is poetry, right? This is a song. And so there are words that he uses to call the word of God. And those, those words are, are listed right here. It's law, testimony, precepts, commandments, the fear of the Lord and rules. They're synonymous with one another. All of them pointing back to the word of God. All of them pointing back to the word of God. When you look at, at each one of them, I, I think it's important for us to, to understand that these laws, these words that came from uh, what, the, what the psalmist was reading were indicating that there was brokenness in his life and he was talking about them as if they were something great. Man, thank you God for the law because you exposed how awful I am. Said none of us ever, right? So working with students for 10 years, you know when it's coming up. The student will come up to you, and they'll say, Jonathan, I know what the Bible teaches on fill in the blank. But I don't know that I want to do that. It's great. It happens all the time. It can be about pride, it could be about money, it could be about social media, it could be about sexuality, it could be about stealing, it could be about lying, you get the memo. Now I know after you graduate high school and you've turned 18 and everything's good, you don't struggle with that anymore, right? I don't think so, right? No, absolutely not, we all struggle still, right? To the point that, that even years after accepting Christ into my life as my personal Lord and Savior, I still wrestle with sin. I encounter people all the time. I have yet to meet a good Christian. We're broken, in need of correction, in need of grace. This is a picture that comes from the word of God. The law shows us our brokenness. Christ comes in and restores and redeems. So to the student, I give an illustration. A young man loves superheroes, specifically Superman, because Superman's awesome. Dresses up like Superman, throws on his cape, climbs the fence, crawls up onto the roof of his house, and says, today I'm going to fly. He's got the cape on. You can picture it, right? So he walks over to the edge of his house and looks down. Looks up confidently and thinks, I think I'm going to need a running start. So he takes a few steps back and runs as fast as he can and just jumps right off the roof straight into the bushes that are right below him. You see, he had a class that was in session and he had a lesson on the law of gravity. The law of gravity is physical, you see. Every single one of us has been impacted by the law of gravity, some of us more than others. 
But I guarantee you that that boy's going to think twice before he crawls back up on that roof, puts his cape on, and runs and jumps off again. It hurts to fall in the bushes. Anybody falling in the bushes? That's right. Some honest people in here. I like it. Well, did you know when we're looking at God's law, it's got some similarities to that. You see, the boy could still try to do things his own way. The law said that's not the way things work. For your safety, I don't recommend jumping off the roofs of small houses. Definitely not buildings, right? But the law of the Lord says there is a way that is supposed to be. There is a way that is, is the way that we're supposed to walk. The way that we're supposed to be living. And so many of us, metaphorically speaking, put on our Superman suit, throw on our cape, look to the edge. God doesn't really know what he's talking about. I feel like I can do it. And we take some steps back, we run and jump right into the metaphorical bushes. But unlike the kid, you get up, crawl back on the roof, and do it again, and again, and again, and again. Surprised that God is not letting us do things our own way. Y'all following my metaphor? You see, the psalmist is talking about that. The law points us in the direction that we're supposed to go. The word law in the Hebrew is the word Torah, right? It means law. But when you look at the literal definition of it, it means to shoot an arrow or direct a path. The law is directing us in the, in the place that we're supposed to be going. It's, it's shooting us like an arrow straight to our heart. Showing us our faults and the direction that we need to take. Showing us the way that is true, the way that we should go. You see, God reveals himself in nature and he revives the soul with his word when we're obedient. Martin Luther put it this way, the reformer. The function of the law is to convert us. It reveals God's holiness and our sin. What the law could not do, Jesus did. It drives us to despair so that we may be driven to Christ. The psalmist not only had names for the word of God, but he also had characteristics of the word of God. Now these characteristics, uh, similar to um, the names that he gives the word of God, are very artistic in their nature, but these actually have specific meaning to them. And it's this, the word of God is sure, right, pure, clean, true, and righteous. The word of the Lord, I'm going to say it again, sure, right, pure, clean, true, and righteous. Let me ask you a question. In 2020, how many of you became experts on clean? Oh, no, 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 no. I don't want to shop for groceries in that store. It's not clean. Oh, no, no, no. I don't want those disinfectant wipes. They only kill 99.8% of the germs. My house will not be clean. 
We all became experts on clean, did we not? At least we thought we did, right? So I love the way that Spurgeon put it. He said that when it compares the word of God to being clean, the, the imagery that's presented is, is an opposition of what is broken or what is gross, what is filthy. Spurgeon went on to say that what is filthy deteriorates. Brother Jody Scheibe was doing some work at the student house. And there was a specific instance where uh, he was doing some work on our cabana out behind the student house. And there was a four by four that was one of the, the, the joists that was holding up the roof. You know what I'm talking about. I'm not a construction person. Don't judge me. Jody came with a flathead screwdriver and poked it. And the screwdriver went straight through the paint. And when he peeled the paint back a little bit, he saw that inside that 4 by 4 was completely rotten, powder, dust. You see, at one point, that 4 by 4 was dirty. And rather than taking care of the root of the issue, it got a nice little paint coating on there. But the rot was still going on deep inside. That board was not holding much up, if you know what I'm saying. It was not living to its potential. It looked pretty on the outside. It could be fooling everybody. But it was broken. It was falling apart. The word of the Lord is clean. And then you get to the results of the word of God. And it says that the word of God endures forever. And let me just take a second, take a step back and say this. Did you know that the word of God existed before America did? Did you know that the word of God existed before our Constitution did? Did you know that the word of God existed before the Capitol building was built? Did you know that the word of God is going to be here long after I'm gone? It has stood the test of time. It is clean. It is pure characteristics of the word of God. I love it. Making wise the simple. Smartest people I know daily in the word of God. Rejoicing the heart. The most joyful people I know, you guessed it, daily in the word of God. And the word of God endures forever. It doesn't ever need correction. It doesn't ever need apologies. It doesn't ever need any changing. It is relevant today the same as it was when it was written. Now, everyone in our culture has access to the word of God these days. On your shelf, you might have dozens of Bibles just sitting there. Different occasions. This one's an heirloom. This one's an antique. This one's a study Bible. This one's large print. This one's extra large print. But I'm not judging, again. Some of us have it on our phones. Access to any commentary you want right at your fingertips. Any study helps. Any language helps. You can know everything that a seminary could teach you about the word of God from your cell phone. Ralph Waldo Emerson once asked what we would do 
if the stars came out once every thousand years? The response, no one would sleep that night, of course. The world would become religious overnight. We would become ecstatic, delirious even, made rapturous by the glory of God. Instead, the stars come out every night and we watch television. My friends, we have access to the word of God at our fingertips, on our shelves. We've got books upon books upon books that point us in the direction that we need to go. We have pictures of the law, pictures of grace, pictures of mercy right there telling us the way that we need to live, giving us everything pertaining to life and godliness. And we set back and watch TV. The word of God is here. It's available. It's better than the best food, more valuable than the most expensive treasure. And it's available. It's at your fingertips. Every single one of you has access. The word of God reveals our need for righteousness. It shows that we are sinners and that we reach out to a savior. Now I know what some of you are thinking because I'm in your brain. And you're thinking, oh, come on, Jonathan, I ain't that bad. Listen, yes, you are. Yes, you are. Yes, I am. Pastor Matt is. Pastor Lee is. We're bad. Broken. In need of a savior. Beggars pointing to the source of bread. Broken. The word of God shows us the areas. Romans 3.23 says all have sinned. That means you. Romans 3.10 says no one is righteous, not even one. That means you. We are in need of correction. Did you know when I was in high school, and I give this illustration to the youth all the time, my dad was diagnosed with cancer, one of the hardest things that happened to me in my life. My dad got diagnosed with cancer, and I am thankful, I praise Jesus, that he didn't go to the doctor and say, I don't like the result that you gave me, I'm going to get a second opinion. You know, when we are before the word of God, and it convicts us and says, hey, you've got some spiritual cancer in your life. So many times in this culture, we say, well, I'm going to find a different church that looks at it a different way. I'm going to find a different preacher that doesn't point out my flaws. I'm going to go to a different church that interprets things a different way. But here, we stand on the word of God. We are sinners, all of us, in need of a savior all of us. So every single one of us can respond. I love the way that it ends. Verses 12 and 13 of the psalm say, who can discern his errors? Rhetorical question. You can't. The word of God exposes our errors. God shows us our errors. Who can discern his errors? And then there's a prayer. 
declare me innocent from my hidden faults, sins you don't know about. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins and let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Salvation through Christ Jesus is the only way to bring about restoration in the brokenness that is in your life and mine. He is the great physician according to the word of God. And when we get diagnosed terminal with spiritual cancer, he is the one that comes in as the operator. He is the one that comes in as the one that gives the diagnosis. He is the one that comes in and makes things right. And then he closes with this. This was one of my first verses that I ever learned growing up. And I learned it to a song, but I'm not going to bless you that way this morning. Psalm verse 19 and verse 14 says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You see, there has to be harmony of the heart and the mouth. It's crucial to our walk with Jesus. It's crucial to our walk with God, our relationship with him. When you have a relationship with God, this is a huge part of our recovery process. My friends, every single one of us can respond today. Did you know that you can respond by digging into the word of God? You can respond by hating the sin that's in your life. Asking God to reveal the hidden sin in your life. Asking him to declare you innocent. Change the way you're doing it. Instead of loving it, clinging to it, excusing it, or ignoring it, make war against the sin in your life. We should hate it with a passion and seek God to assist you in recovery and pursuit of holiness. That is our end goal. Christ is the rock and redeemer. My question for you online and in the room today, do you know him? Do you have a relationship with the God that created the universe? Do you have a relationship with the God who speaks? Have you found forgiveness from all of the brokenness in your life? Today is your day. Today is the day that you could come face to face with your Savior. Today is the day that God could work salvation in your life. I don't care how long you've come here. I don't care how many people think you're saved. Do you have a relationship with Christ Jesus? That is the goal of this church for our walk with God. Today's the day to begin a relationship with the God who speaks. Pray with me. God, we thank you for nature, for showing us who you are, that you are the God who speaks. You are the God who diagnoses our sin. You are the God that removes it. 
God, your word teaches that you give grace upon grace. God, I pray that in my own life and in the life of everyone who's hearing me today, that you would be the author of salvation in their life. Begin a relationship with them today. God, your mercy is new every morning. We thank you that we can be dependent on your word and your truth. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to thank you for watching today's message. Right now, I want to encourage you to do something. You know, when we hear the word of God, the Bible calls us to make a decision. And really, that comes from Jesus all throughout the New Testament, Jesus is saying, come and follow me. If you think about all the decisions that you've had to make in your life, some were small decisions, some were big decisions, some were not really important, and some were very important. But the decision of what you're going to do with Jesus Christ in your life is the most important decision that you're ever going to make. See, really, there's only two options. You can walk with Jesus or you could walk away from Jesus. And I want to encourage you right now to walk with Jesus. And the way that you have a relationship with Jesus is you place your faith in Him. You place your trust in Him. And what you're doing by placing your faith and trust in Jesus is you're saying, Jesus, I, I know I have sin. I know I have sin in my life that separates me from God. And I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to trust that you can bring me to God. See, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5 and verse 21, that Jesus knew no sin, but he was made to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And what that means is this, that when Jesus died on the cross, God put all our sin on him. And that when you trust by faith in Jesus, he gets your sin and you get his righteousness. It's called the great exchange. You give him your sin and he gives you his righteousness. That means you're forgiven. You're forgiven of all the sins that you've ever done and that you're forgiven of all the sins you ever will do. And the Bible says that when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, that God forgives you of your sin and he forgives you of, of the power of sin in your life right now, that when you die, that God will take you to heaven to be with him for all of eternity. And so if you're ready to do that, I want to encourage you to do that right now where you are. And you simply can pray along with me. Just bow your head and close your eyes. And you can say, Dear God, I know I have sinned. And today I'm ready to trust Jesus as my Savior. Thank you, God, for saving me. Now, friend, if you've prayed that with us today, I want to encourage you to let us know. You can go to heightschurch.org connect or simply open the camera app uh, on your phone and put it right over this QR code and that's going to take you to that website. There you can let us know that you prayed to receive Jesus as your Savior. What we'd love to do is celebrate that with you, pray for you, come alongside of you and help you take your next steps of faith. And so I want to thank you for watching today's message. I want to encourage you, if you're able to make it out, we'd love to see you in person here at Heights on Sunday mornings at 9 or 10.30 a.m., or you can catch us online at 9 and 10.30 a.m. live on Sunday mornings on our Heights Facebook page, our Heights YouTube page. So again, until next time, God bless and have a great week.